0: Greetings and welcome to the First Timothy Sermon Series here at Good Shepherd OPC, a mission work of Cornerstone here in Houston. My name is Miller Ansel, the church planning intern who delivers these sermons on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock. Please check out our website at gsopc.org for more information on our evening worship as well as our midweek Bible study. Here is this week's sermon. First Timothy, Chapter One, Verses One and Two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul was a torchbearer, a man called out of time by the risen Christ to be an apostle, a missionary to the Gentiles. And as we open his letter to Timothy, he is a man who is coming to the end of his race, in fact, in a few years, he would write to Timothy once more, 2nd Timothy, and that would be his last letter included in scripture before he died. And so at the end near, this great torch bearer needs to pass on the torch, and he passes on the torch to his son in the faith, Timothy. That's what the letter of 1st Timothy is about. It's about Paul handing over leadership to this young man now if that were all this letter was, we might not be so inclined to read it. But this is not simply a private letter to a protege. Rather, it is a public letter by which Paul reminds the reader of his apostolic authority and that Timothy is taking leadership upon apostolic approval to order the church of Ephesus. In fact, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul tells Timothy another reason why he is writing, saying, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So Timothy is to teach the church in Ephesus how to behave as Christians, how to behave as the church. So no, a Christian may not skip over the reading of this letter. You cannot say, well, I'm not Timothy, or... I'm not a pastor, so I don't have to read this. No, the whole letter is for the whole church so that we know how to behave as God's people. We also may not skip over the salutation of the letter. In our private worship, it's very easy to glance over the first few verses of letters in Scripture, but I guarantee that Timothy wasn't skipping over the salutation, so neither will we. And in this salutation, we find two simple points that we'll expound upon. The first is the author of this letter. Second is the addressee of the letter. And then we'll conclude with the importance of this letter for us. So first, the author. And the author is Paul. Paul, his Greek name, Saul, his Hebrew name. Uh, You're probably very familiar with Paul's testimony. Paul uh, was persecuting the church. He stood over the stoning of Stephen, giving his approval. He went into Christian homes, dragging out the inhabitants to prison. He was quite zealous for his Jewish tradition. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees until he was on his way to Damascus, and a bright light flashed, and that bright light was the resurrected Christ, and there he spoke to Paul, and Paul was converted, and the zeal that he once had for persecuting Christians was now used to preach Christ crucified for sin and he became one who was sent. Now that's a very general definition of the word apostle, one who is sent. But scripture seems to use that term in a more narrow way in reference to the church office, that is to the apostolic office. And there are four criteria to obtain this office. The first is that one must be appointed by God, which is to say that one is empowered and authorized by God. And we're going to spend... A little more time here on this first one than the other three, because it's most pertinent to what Timothy is to do. And so Paul is appointed an apostle by God. Notice, Paul does not say he's an apostle of Christ Jesus according uh, to the command of myself, or according to the command of my friends, or even according to the command of the church. None of these may call an apostle. Only God can call a man to be an apostle, thus authorizing and empowering him. This is important for Timothy. He's going to have confrontations. And he can say to them, this isn't my opinion. I'm telling you what the apostle Paul has said. And Paul spoke the words of God because he was authorized and empowered to do so. So you see, Timothy is at the church in Ephesus where it's a doctrinal and moral wreck. Before Timothy even got there, Paul would say to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, Starting in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Well, those wolves have come in. Those false teachers have sprung up. And now Timothy needs to set things in order. Verse 3 of chapter 1 reminds us, Remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine also verses 18 and 20 this charge I trust to you Timothy my child in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymeneus and Alexander whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme this church is undergoing a difficult time with men teaching different doctrine and these other men being disciplined by Paul. And Paul doesn't hesitate to name them. So not only is Timothy dealing with this Hymenaeus and Alexander situation, we also know that Hymenaeus and Alexander's friends and families are probably upset as well. So Timothy has to deal with them. And it's not going to get any better. Later in the letter, Paul tells Timothy in 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. The point is this Timothy has apostolic authority to handle heresy. And I'm not talking about errors, I'm talking about soul damning heresy. Timothy must take it seriously. And we must ask ourselves if we take it seriously as well. Do you take soul damning heresy seriously? You should, because as we read, it comes from demons. And demonic doctrine leads to demonic living. Does demonic doctrine repulse you? Are you disgusted by those who deny that Jesus is God in the church? Are you sickened by those who deny, who deny the Trinity and call themselves Christians? We should be. And like Timothy, we cannot turn a blind eye to it. So the first criterion of an apostle is to be appointed by God. Secondly, it is to have seen the resurrected Christ. This precludes anyone after the first century from being an apostle. The office has ceased. In fact, Paul was a special case. He says so himself in 1 Corinthians fifteen eight and 9. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me... For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So Paul recognizes that he is an apostle as he has seen the resurrected Christ and even says he was the last one that Jesus appeared to. Thirdly, the apostles are the foundation of the church along with the prophets. Ephesians 2.20 is clear that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And like any foundation, it does not keep going. We don't lay a foundation up to the ceiling. Rather, it is laid once and then it is built upon. Being that the apostles are nearly gone, Paul is eager to build upon that foundation and pass the torch on to Timothy. Of course, Timothy will not be like the apostles and prophets because he will not be receiving new revelation as they did. Instead, he is to consider the writings of the apostles and prophets as the word of God, which it is. So these apostles were to speak the Word of God in accordance with the Holy Spirit, and their main task was to show Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, which is what Christ had taught them. This is clear in Matthew 28, where Jesus is speaking to the apostles about evangelizing, baptizing, and teaching only what Jesus had taught. So then in passing the torch to Timothy, Timothy does not become an apostle, and Timothy does not receive new revelation. Instead, Paul leaves Timothy, this divinely inspired epistle. Being divinely inspired, Timothy and us are required to know and study this letter. It also means that to reject this letter as the word of God is not just to reject Paul, but it's to reject Jesus Christ himself. The apostles wrote the revelations they received from the Lord, and as their successors, Timothy and us are to cleave to their writings and teach them. And so... In that sense, you might call us an apostolic church. We don't believe in the continuing office of apostles, but we are a church built upon the foundation of the apostles. And connected with this is the fourth criterion of an apostle, and that is that they are first in leadership and authority. So the apostles together made up the highest earthly authority for the church in the first century. That authority was then passed on to elders, which is what we are seeing as Paul passes on this authoritative torch uh, to Timothy. Well, how was Paul made an apostle? And the answer is in verse 1, according to the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. So up to this point, Paul's salutation is quite normal for a first century late letter, except now he adds a Christian twist to it by bringing up God as our Savior and Jesus as our hope. Now, we don't think Uh, of God the Father as Savior very often. More often we say Jesus is my Savior because of his mediating work, which is to say Jesus saves us because he died for our sins and lived a perfect life and is now seated at the right hand of God mediating for us. Yet the word Savior is not limited to just the work of Jesus. It also includes the Father who sent Jesus uh, is the Father who sent the Son. And Paul will call God the Father our Savior a few more times in this letter. And what a great reminder it is. Are we in need of saving? We'll look to God the Father. Are we in need of hope? Look to Christ Jesus. Too often our culture tells us to try this, try that, follow this path, and you will have hope. They say, pray to this God or to that human advocate. That's how you win God's favor. But beloved, there is no salvation or hope in our doings. You have no hope today unless you look to Jesus who will give you hope. And he gives you that hope from the beginning to the end of salvation. Everything that is required to be saved is supplied by our Lord. So verse 1 is Paul, the author, greeting us in the letter. It is also a great reminder of the Father's goodwill to us in providing apostles as the foundation of the church and also in providing salvation from sin, thus showing the love that he has for us in Christ. Now verse 2 shows us the addressee, and it is a young man in his mid-thirties named Timothy. Timothy has been a student of Scripture and a Christian since he was a child. His father was a Greek and his mother a Jew, he came from what seems to be a line of believers. In 2 Timothy 1.5, we read of his grandmother, Lois, believing, and his mother, Eunice, as well. And so we see it's not unusual for godly men to be the result of godly mothers. We can never overlook the importance of godly mothers in raising godly men. And while Timothy had a godly biological mother, he also had a godly spiritual father in Paul. This is what Paul says next in verse 2, Timothy, my true child in the faith. In fact, Paul speaks like this in other letters as well, that he is the spiritual father of those he has taught the gospel to. But don't be confused. This is not the high and exalted title of father that Jesus tells us not to take in Matthew 23. Instead, Paul humbly calls himself father in a way that is like God the Father, but certainly not identical. God the Father is the creator of our souls and bodies and alone is worth exalting. And at the same time, he allows men to be both physical and spiritual fathers in a lesser, more humble sense, who have been used as means for our bodies, souls, and salvation. In fact, John Calvin preached um, during the midst of the Protestant Reformation, and he did not shy away from saying not only is the church your mother, but the church's ministers are your father's. And with that in mind, let me ask you a question. Can any man claim to be your spiritual father? If not, that's a serious issue that needs to be addressed. Now, Paul finishes up his greeting to Timothy with the words, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we're used to hearing grace and peace, but here Paul adds mercy. Why? And Matthew Henry makes me smile when he wrote that Paul adds mercy here because ministers need an extra dose of mercy. Amen. And that gets at the idea Timothy has his work cut out for him. And if he is going to bear the torch as the next generation's leader, he needs grace, mercy, and peace. If Timothy is to face head-on the demonic doctrine and false teachers, he needs grace, mercy, and peace. If Timothy is to set this Ephesian flock In order, he needs grace, mercy, and peace. He needs grace, not only for God's ongoing forgiveness in his own life, but also God's enabling of him to lead. He needs mercy for himself as God gives him sympathy and his concern for him, but also for Timothy to turn around and show that sympathy and concern for others. He needs God's peace for himself and the church so that tranquility and stability are found amongst them all. I encourage you to pray for those things in your leaders. Grace, mercy, and peace is greatly needed for leaders in the church. So verse 1 tells us Paul wrote the letter. Verse 2 gives us Timothy as the addressee. Let's now turn our attention uh, to three reasons that 1 Timothy is important for us to study. First is to understand the pastorate because bad pastors ruin churches. Men who teach soul-damning heresy and do not uphold truth are sending churches spiraling to hell. There were lost men in pulpits last Lord's Day. There were compromising men in pulpits this last Lord's Day. And the Christians don't seem to mind. They say these men are great leaders. They are type A personalities that we can really rally around. But their doctrine comes from demons. Instead, we must read 1 Timothy and see the importance of sound men in the pulpits with the ability to set the church in order, to uphold the truth, and to be models of faithfulness as Timothy is to be to the Ephesians. Secondly, we must study First Timothy to withstand the onslaught of secular thought. Do you see it around us? The spirit of the age is tolerance and it has made us soft. It seeps into churches that the average Christian today despises doctrine and doesn't know how to confront heresy or deal with cults. Instead, we hear of one denying the deity of Christ and smile and say, well, they just have a different interpretation. Does our blood never boil to hear the name of Christ blasphemed? Do we care anymore? Thus, 1 Timothy is important to remind us of our call to write doctrine, to not be led away by myths, the teachings of demons, and different doctrine. Instead, we must seek the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ as his teaching is in accordance with godliness. Thirdly, we need to study 1 Timothy to pass on the faith to the next generation. We follow the example of Paul in passing it on to Timothy so that we too pass on the faith to our natural children and our spiritual children. Well, how do we do that? by bringing them to worship on the Lord's day, by family worship, by catechizing. If we wish the next generation to be able to withstand heresies, they must be trained so that they do not fall prey to endless myths and genealogies, as Paul will say next week. Instead, we pass on the faith so that they may stand strong for God's truth. So you see, this is not just a letter for Timothy or just for ministers. It is an inspired, inerrant letter for the church to love God their Savior, to love Christ their hope, and to be on guard against doctrine that would tell us otherwise. Timothy is not at liberty to espouse his own opinions, and neither are ministers today. Instead, Timothy is to bear the apostolic torch in ordering the church according to the word of God. And what does that mean for us? Let us humble ourselves before the Father renouncing our sin and making the Father our Savior and Jesus our hope in order that we may steer clear of false thinking. It has pleased the Lord to save people so that his people acknowledge truth. May we walk along that path and not veer from that truth or our holy calling. Amen.